that's in the Old Testament. You can find 2 Kings, Chronicles, just keep turning a little, little past that. Really, really up through <coughs> Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, things are, are kind of in chronological order in the Bible, and then, and then most of the books we see that after that in, in the Old Testament are prophets that kind of spoke during, during the times of the kings and, it, and at some spots, you know, maybe after the return to Jerusalem or around about that same time, but really up through uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and that, and that part of the scripture, everything really is, is somewhat chronological to that point. But Esther chapter 2. Last week we, we were introduced to two of the main characters of the story. Uh, one was the king of Persia. Uh, his name was Ahasuerus or Xerxes. Uh, you, you, you may hear me say either of those names, but they're both talking about the same person. And, and we talked about uh, several little things that, that, that maybe are sometimes discussed when we look at the book of Esther, but, but we don't want to overshadow the main point of the book with some of these other, other things that may sometimes be brought out in the book. There's a there's a main point that the author is trying to get to. And, and last week we asked the question, where is God? Because God is not mentioned in, in anywhere in the book of Esther. And, and we don't see any big miracles in the book of Esther. But what we do see as we go through the book of Esther is it, it seems clear that God is working behind the scenes in the background, not, not with miracles maybe that we have been used to seeing earlier on in the Old Testament, but God is still at work seeing that just the right people get into just the right place at just the right time to accomplish his will. Now, uh, last week we saw that the king, King uh, Xerxes, was, was not happy with Vashti. There had been this big party, and he was drunk, and he had called for the queen to come out to show her off in whatever way he intended, and, and she refused to come. Uh, now, whether he was right in, in calling her or whether she was right in refusing... That's not really the point. Uh, but, but as a result of that, the king's advisor said, look, we've got to make an example so that men can be leaders of their own household so that their wives won't speak against them. And so they had to get rid of Queen Vashti. And that's kind of what we saw last week in the story. Details that, that may not really seem like they make any sense, but as the story unfolds, we will see that all of these things are occurring because God is going to accomplish something through the events that, that we see. And so the key takeaway last week is that God is not, 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 not clearly visible, at least not in word or by any actions, but God is there, and he's there in our life, even when he's not visible. Uh, and we, we see King Xerxes, and we see Queen Vashti is now out of the picture, and we pick up there in the story this morning in Esther 2. So let's pray, and we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. I pray that you would just help us to get something from what we see today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to concentrate and to focus, help me to do a good job to preach and teach, that you hide me behind the cross, that you keep me humble, dear Lord, and I pray that all the glory this morning goes to you. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to get through this, help me not to ramble on, but but God bring to my mouth the words you want me to say, and I pray that they would all point us and draw us to you and help us to grow in you in our daily life. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Esther 2. Sometime later, when King Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes, rage had cooled down, he remembered Vashti, what she had done, and what was decided against her. 
the king's personal attendant suggested. Let a search be made for a beautiful young woman for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in each province of his kingdom so that they may assemble all the beautiful young women to the harem at the fortress of Susa. Put them under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who's in charge of the women, and give them a, the beauty, uh, give them the required beauty treatments. Then the young women, the young woman who pleases the king, will become queen instead of Vashti. This suggestion pleased the queen, the king, and he did accordingly. Okay, so the so the the story is set. Queen Vashti's out of the picture. So there needs to be a new queen. There needs to be a replacement. And so as, as this is being discussed among the king and his advisors, they come up with a solution. We need to gather up all the most beautiful women of the land and all the different provinces, and they need to be brought before the king so that the king can make his choice. Now this whole process that we see here through Esther played out across several years. This was not, these were not events that happened quickly, but they were, they were stretched out uh, over several years. And so the king, he, he likes this idea. He likes this plan for all the beautiful young ladies of the whole province to, to come before him. Now, this was a large province, as we talked about last week, from, from over kind of stretching into the tip of, of, of Africa all the way over to India. So this was this is one of the largest empires uh, that there has been, the Medo-Persian Empire. And so there were a lot of a lot of women in this empire. Now whether every single beautiful girl was to come, whether they were forced to come, or whether they came under their own will, it's hard to know. Uh, but there were no doubt a lot of beautiful young ladies that would have been brought before the king. And they were to go through these beauty treatments. And we will see that as we continue on through the story. But but one of the king's eunuchs, his name is Haggai, and he was to be over all of these beautiful young women to prepare them and get them ready to meet the, meet the king. Now, we see the word eunuch in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and eunuch is simply a term to describe, to describe a male who doesn't have the male reproductive organs. They have uh, oftentimes uh, been removed. And so when we see that word there, that's what that's talking about. And these eunuchs were the ones who would have been in charge uh, or over uh, the king's wife, the queen, or any of the king's other women, his concubines. These, these eunuchs would have been over women, and, and that's natural to understand because there would have been no opportunity and no chance for these men to do anything with these women. These were the king's uh, women. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't supposed to be touched by anybody else. And so uh, these eunuchs would have been placed in that position to look after these beautiful women. Uh, and you could understand the temptation that a, that a man would face being among beautiful women, uh, likely hundreds of beautiful women in some instances. And so uh, as horrible as a practice as that is, and that was, uh, that's, that's the way things things were done. That doesn't mean it was right, but that's, that's the way things occurred in those days. And when we see the term eunuch here, uh, that's, that's what's being talked about. And so the plan is set into motion that a new king, or excuse me, a new queen is to be found in the land to replace uh, the outgoing queen. Verse 5, in the fortress of Susa, there was a Jewish man named Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shemi, son of Kish, 
a Benjaminite. Now tuck that little bit of information away in your mind. We will discuss that as we progress along in the weeks to come. But the idea and the fact that Mordecai was a Benjaminite uh, will play a part in the story as we continue. Uh, but, but, but essentially what that is saying to us is that Mordecai was a Jew. And we see that today as we read through the rest of this passage. But, but keep this idea uh, that Mordecai was a Benjaminite in mind as we continue over the next few weeks. Verse 6, he had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the other captives when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took King Jeconiah, or Jehoiachin is probably who that refers to. Sometimes we see different kings uh, referred to in different ways, uh, but when it says Jeconiah, it probably is referring to Jehoiachin. That was probably a different name. Who was the king of Judah into exile? And so it's just reminding us that, hey, the Jewish people were taken into exile by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and that's why they were scattered uh, throughout all these places, and that's why they weren't in Jerusalem right now. In verse 7, Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin, Hadassah, that is Esther, because she didn't have a father or mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good looking. When her father and mother died, Mordecai had adopted her as his own daughter. So here we are introduced to two more of the main characters of the story, Mordecai and Esther. Now, these two characters are Jewish, as we, as we see here and as we see as we continue along. Mordecai was the cousin of Esther. Now, when we first see Esther mentioned here, we see her referred to by the name Hadassah. Now, uh, oftentimes we see people in Scripture referred to by different names. It's possible that, that being in a different culture, in the Medo-Persian culture, that perhaps she adopted a name or, or many of the Jews adopted a name that would have, would have fit with names that would have went with that culture. I'm not, not really sure, but we see that briefly here uh, it speaks of Hadassah, but then it tells us, the author tells us that is Esther, and so we will see her referred to as Esther from this point forward. And so what is the key takeaway from Esther? Well, we see it right here. She was beautiful. She was, she was extremely good-looking, the text says. She was, she was an orphan. She did not have a mother or father. They had died, and Mordecai <laughs> had adopted her. He was taking care of her. Now, I'm not sure how much older Mordecai was than Esther at this point, but he was certainly at least a little older than her, probably a lot older than her. But Mordecai was Esther's cousin who was taking care of her. And it seems as we go through the story that, that Mordecai really did care for Esther and he, and he was doing his best to uh, watch over her. Verse 8, When the king's command and edict became public knowledge, many young women gathered at the fortress of Susa under Haggai's care. Esther was also taken to the palace and placed under the care of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. The young woman pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. He assigned seven hand-picked female servants to her from the palace and transferred her to her and her servants to the harem's best quarters. So Esther was a beautiful young lady. And when the king's man, Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of this process and these women, when he saw her, he was, he was amazed at what he saw. And, and she gained favor 
with Hagar. Now, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, how God works and how we see God work sometimes in Scripture, in the Old Testament. Oftentimes, God, in whatever way he makes this occur, he, he allows his people to gain favor with those that are, that are over them in some way. We see it with the story of Joseph, that no matter where he was, in prison or with Pharaoh or wherever, he always gained favor. Uh, we see that with the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they were taken into the land. They didn't want to eat the king's food, and they requested to be able to eat vegetables and drink water, and the, and the guy who was over them allowed them to do that, and they gained favor. And God always seems to, in these situations, when he is working and working through people, whatever way he makes it occur, people gain favor with those who are over them. And that's that's what occurred in Esther's case. Now, I don't know if that Esther necessarily did anything to gain this favor, and I doubt that she did. But she was so beautiful, and when Haggai saw her, she gained favor. And so that favor got her special treatment. She got these seven servants that were around her. She was given special treatment and special care as she was placed in, in the king's harem. Now, we see that word a few times in this chapter. That would have been, that would have been essentially like a house or, or, or a headquarters or a place where these women would have lived. It would have been a place where the queen would have lived or where the, the king's concubines would have lived. And so these harems would have, would have likely housed lots of women. And all of these women who had gathered together, who were preparing themselves to go before the king in hopes of being the next king, would have stayed in these harems. And so when we see that word, that's, that's what that means here. All right, verse 10. Esther did not reveal her ethnic background or her birthplace because Mordecai had ordered her not to. Every day, Mordecai took a walk in front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and to see what was happening to her. During the year before each young woman's turn to go to King Ahasuerus, the harem regulation required her to receive beauty treatments with oil of myrrh for six months and then with perfumes and cosmetics for another six months. When the young woman would go to the king, she was given whatever she requested to take with her from the harem to the palace. She would go in the evening and in the morning. She would return to a second harem under the supervision of Shazgaz. Then the king's eunuchs, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines, she never went to the king again unless he desired her and summoned her by name. So Esther is part of this process of, of going before the king, but Mordecai had told her not to reveal that she was Jewish to the king. Now, I'm not exactly sure why that Mordecai ordered her to do this. Now, it's possible that maybe there was some tension there that the story does not tell us up to this point. Uh, the scripture doesn't really tell us that that it, it would that that the Jews would really be in danger or that the king would be against having a Jewish queen. Uh, it, it doesn't say that, but for whatever reason, Mordecai said, "Hey, keep your keep keep who you are secret. Don't let anybody know that you are a Jew." Now, as the story progresses along, we will see that it's a good thing that that Mordecai had given uh, Esther these instructions, and perhaps. Perhaps uh, Mordecai knew that there was some tension or, or maybe uh, there was some, some hatred toward the Jews. Uh, we simply do not know up until this point. But 
Esther, what we see with Esther throughout the story is that she listens to Mordecai. And, uh, and she seems to be, for, for lack of a better term, she seems to be submissive here. And this is often a point that, that folks will point out. I don't know that this is a key part of the story, but I, I think it's at least a part of the story uh, that Vashti was uh, not submissive to the king and Esther was submissive to the king. Now, not to say that everything the king did was right, not to say that these actions were right, and some uh, will, will point this out, and, and rightfully so. These are wrong actions for the king to want all of these women and to want all of these concubines because all of these women that are going before him, only one is going to be the queen, and it's likely that the rest of them would have remained, at least some of them, as the king's concubine for him to uh, use them, uh, and that's probably the best way to put it, uh, as he saw fit. And this is not appropriate behavior. And some would look at this and say, well, this is a problem. This is a, this is a problem with men, and this is how men are. But I don't know that this is necessarily a man problem, using his power over women. I think that this is simply a power problem. When people have power, they will do whatever they can to keep that power, and they will use that power to get what they want. In this case, it just so happened that a man wielded that power, and he used that power, I would certainly say, in an inappropriate way uh, against these women, to, to use and abuse these women uh, in a way that is not how God intends for men to treat women. But we also have a couple of good examples in Scripture of queens who were no better. For instance, Jezebel. Perhaps you have heard that name. Well, Jezebel was a queen, and what does it say of Jezebel in 1 Kings 18? That she had the prophets of God killed uh, who were men. And so she used her power to get what she wanted. What did she want? She wanted the prophets of God gone. She, she kind of propped up and followed and liked the prophets of Baal. And so she used her power in an inappropriate way as well. And then, and then later on in the story, well, we see a queen that pops up very briefly in Scripture uh, in 2 Kings chapter 11 by the name of Athaliah. And when her son, who was the king, dies, she sees it as an opportunity to rise to power and be queen herself. And so she has all of her grandsons killed so that she can retain the crown. And so when we look at Scripture, while there may be more kings, uh, we do see some queens, and they don't seem to be any better than many of the kings we see in Scripture. They do evil things too. But to what end? To keep their power, to keep their control, to get their way. And what will they do? Well, they will do whatever they want to get what they want, whether it's having a lot of women, which is inappropriate, or whether it's having a bunch of people killed, which is also inappropriate and, and evil. We see these, these evil actions both among men and among women in Scripture. And in all of these instances, these things are wrong. Now, a quick note, the story of Athaliah is a wonderful story. I would encourage you to read it because there's one grandson that does not get killed. He's, he's saved. He's taken away. And this is an interesting way that we see God working through Scripture. He always keeps away for the bloodline of, of the tribe of Judah, of David, to continue to go on. Why? Because Jesus has to come from that bloodline. And if Athaliah would have been successful in killing all of her grandsons, that would have been an end. But God is always faithful. And one of the grandsons was able to escape, to be taken to safety. That's a beautiful story. Go read it. It's a great story to show how God works. But anyway, uh, that's, a, that's a story for 
another day. But, but what we see here uh, with this king is he's not doing appropriate actions. What we see with these two queens that we just mentioned is that they do inappropriate actions and evil actions. But again, we said this last week, these things are not what the story is about. Now, we can talk about these things, but I don't think that that's the main point that the author necessarily wants us to get from this story, the, the king's evil actions or, or, or anybody else's evil actions, that these women should go. And on the flip side, we may say, well, these women were forced to go, but for some, they may have desired this. After all, uh, if, you get, if you go for this, this, this tryout, so to speak, and, and the king picks you to be a queen, I mean, you're going to have a pretty good life. Even if you're not chosen to be the, the queen, but you, you uh, become a concubine of the king and live in a harem, you're going to be well taken care of. Now, I'm, again, not saying that any of this is, is right. This is not right. But, but the women may, have, may not necessarily be the victims here. They may have, some of them, jumped at the opportunity to go before the king. Now, we don't know what Mordecai's motives were by, by, by encouraging Esther and telling her she needed to go. We don't know what Esther's motives were. Maybe she didn't want to or maybe she did want to. We simply don't know the motives of Mordecai or Esther at this point. But we do know that, that Esther does listen to Mordecai here and as the story continues. And she does appear to be submissive and quiet, even if, even if maybe that's not what she desires. It's hard for us to always know. Uh, but we do see that at least in, in terms of Esther, I mean, uh, uh, Mordecai, that she listens to Mordecai and she respects what Mordecai says as her cousin who is trying to, uh, trying to lead her. Verse 15, Esther was the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had adopted her as his own daughter. When her turn came to go to the king, she did not ask for anything except for what Haggai, the king's trusted official in charge of the harem, suggested. Esther won approval in the sight of everyone who saw her. Here's that same idea of Esther uh, getting favor among everybody. Okay, so Haggai saw her, and instantly uh, she gained favor with Haggai, and she got special treatment. And then again, when everybody sees her, uh, they, they, they all uh, are, 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 are amazed at what they are seeing, and, and she wins the approval of everybody. Now, we said at the beginning of the story that we don't see God mentioned, but I think details like this, we see God at work. This is, this is God who is helping Esther to win the approval of all of these people. Who is it that gave Esther her, her beauty? You may say, well, it's just her beauty that's helping her to win approval. Well, who made her so beautiful? It was the Lord who made Esther the beautiful woman that she was. And so whether it was her beauty or her attitude or her actions or whatever it was that people saw, when people saw Esther, she won their approval. She won their favor. And this is just one little detail, I think, that we see. Okay, God is at work. God is allowing this to take place for Esther to be able to get to where she needs to get, for God to accomplish his goal throughout this story. In verse 16, she was taking to King Ahasuerus in the royal palace in the tenth month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. She won more favor and approval from him than did any of the other young women. He placed the royal crown on her, on her head and made her queen in place of Vashti. 
So not only did the king's servant Haggai, uh, did she gain approval with him, not only did she gain approval with everyone else who saw her, but when she went before the king, he loved her more than all of the other women. She gained the king's approval, and now we have a new king, excuse me, a new queen. The, the old queen is out, and the new queen is in. Verse 18, the king held a great banquet for all his officials and staff. It was Esther's banquet. He freed his provinces from tax payments and gave gifts worthy of the king's bounty. That's pretty good, freed everybody from tax payments. That'd be, that'd be fantastic if any of our leaders uh, were so in love that they canceled our tax payments for a while. But the king was very excited. So he cancels these tax payments. He frees people from them. He throws this huge banquet. Uh, and it is a good day for the king and the queen and the people of the land. When the young women were assembled together for a second time... Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther still had not revealed her birthplace or her ethnic background as Mordecai had directed. She obeyed Mordecai's orders as she always had while he raised her. Now, here we see what, what I think is, is kind of a theme here with Esther. She, she does appear to be submissive to Mordecai. She does listen to him. It said she listened to Haggai when it got her turn to go before the king. Uh, these, these women could take something with them uh, uh, before the king. And she asked Haggai what to take. She followed his advice just as she had followed Mordecai's advice. Now, maybe she was young. Maybe she didn't know any better and she just was doing what they said. Or maybe she was wise. Maybe she said, hey, I'm going to listen to these men. I'm going to follow their examples. I'm going to follow what they guide me to do because they know better than me. And this, this appears to be a theme in Esther's life as, as she listened to Haggai and she has obviously been listening to Mordecai throughout this whole process. Verse 21, during those days while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bicton and Teresh, two eunuchs who guarded the king's entrance, became infuriated and planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. When Mordecai learned of the plot, he reported it to Queen Esther, and she told the king on Mordecai's behalf. When the report was investigated and verified, both men were hanged on the gallows. This event was recorded in the historical record in the king's presence. Now keep this last little section in mind because this is going to play a big part in the story as we move along. This is a clue for something else that's coming up in the story. We get this, right? We, we talked about this last week when we watched movies and TV shows. The author, the writer of the script, puts little clues in there and we don't always notice them. This, this, this is true whether you're watching Scooby-Doo or Murder, She Wrote or whatever. And at the end of the episode, there's usually some flashbacks and they point out, hey, here's a little clue, and here's a little clue, and, and you don't notice these little things, but once you see the big story, you can go back and you see, hey, this is a clue. Now, as we're reading through this story, we say, okay, so Mordecai did a good thing. He heard about this assassination plot, and, and he reported it. And what happened? Well, the king was saved, and it doesn't appear that really anything happened. It was just wrote down in the king's record, hey, here's what happened. These guys were going to assassinate you. Old boy named Mordecai heard about it. He saved your life. And so this is a part of the story that we will see and talk about later. But our story has brought us to the next stage to the next main characters, to Mordecai and to Esther. Here we see 
some Jewish folks in a foreign land. Esther is extremely beautiful. And I believe by God's power, she, she gains the, the favor of, of all the other people who are around her. And God has placed her in the most unlikely of places. He has placed her to be the queen in this foreign land. Now, you may, you may look at the events like we've discussed in the first two chapters, and you may say, well, I don't agree with the way they did things, and I don't agree with that, and I don't think it should have been this way, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is not right, and that's not appropriate behavior, and you may be right in all of those, those instances. But it doesn't matter about those things so much as it matters about where is Esther? Where is Esther? Esther is where God wants her to be. And the things that occurred in her life before then that may have been inappropriate or bad, they may have very well been that. But at the moment of time that the story takes place, this is where God has placed Esther. Now last week we talked about where is God? Well, this week perhaps a better question for us to, to ask and answer is, is where are we? Where are you in your life? You may be in a place that that is the most unlikely of all places. You, you may be in the midst of a journey of somewhere that God wants you to be. You may be somewhere where it looks like things are not looking good. I mean, after all, for the Jewish people, they'd been driven from their own land. They're in a foreign land. Things were not looking good for them. But yet God was still at work. Throughout all of the journey, throughout all of the process, God was still at work. And so where are you in your life today? Maybe you're in a season where things don't look good. Maybe you're in a season where you look out and you say, man, things are bleak and things are difficult and things are tough and I don't know how to get through this. I don't know how I got where I am and I certainly don't know how God is working. Or maybe just like he worked with Esther through all the things that they had gone through, he had got Esther to where he wanted her to be. Perhaps God has got you where he wants you to be today? Where has God placed you today? You may, be, you may be waiting for God to put you somewhere when God has already put you somewhere. God may already have you just where he wants you to be. Maybe God wants you to be right here at Enterprise Baptist Church, serving him, being part of this body, doing his work. Maybe God wants you to be at the, at the office you're at. Maybe God wants you to be at the school you're at. Maybe God wants you to be in the state you're in or, or a place you're going. Whatever it may be, where are you at? Because that may be where God wants you to be in the most unlikely situation. And it may be that you got where you are by doing things or things occurring that weren't right, that weren't good. But God can still work through those things. That's not to say, well, praise the Lord, let's glorify God for sin, for bad things. No, that's not what it's about. But, but even in the midst of those bad things, God can still work. And he may still be working in your life. And I'm, I'm sure he is. So where are you at today? Wherever you at, we need to ask this question. Am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I living for the Lord in some way? Where I am, am I making the most of where I am? I don't know what God may be calling you to do, but, but there may be something you can do in this church. There may be something you can do in your job. There may be a way in which you can live your life and you can be obedient to God and you can serve Him and you can listen to Him that God can use you to do something 
great. Of all the ways for God to save his people, he chose a queen from a people who had been exiled in a far land, a girl that would be the least that you would expect to rise to the queenship. But yet that's where she was. That's the position she was placed in. What position are you placed in today? Where are you at today? Don't worry so much about the circumstances that got you where you are, but think about where you are and wherever you are, are you serving God? Are you trusting God? Maybe God has brought you to this very room today to hear his word, to hear about his power. Maybe God has been leading you to the cross of Jesus Christ to know that Jesus was your Savior, that he died on the cross for you, that he shed his blood, that he was placed in the grave and he rose three days later. Maybe, maybe God placed you here today to hear that truth. Maybe you've been hearing that truth and you need to respond to it. And if you have responded to that truth, maybe, just maybe, wherever you are today, God has placed you there so that you can share that truth. What does it mean to share that truth? Well, we talked about that this, this, this morning, coincidentally. We just got to love the Lord. We got to love people. We got to love on people in the way that God loves us. And when we do that, when we, when, when we live our life in that way, people can see that in our life. And that may be how God wants to work through us. We all look at the world today. Well, I'm assuming we all do. And we say, man, this world's a rough place. How can it get better? I wish it could get better. I can tell you this morning that maybe God intends to use you to make the world a better place. And you may say, that's just crazy. I'm one person. How can I change the outcome of things? Well, you can do it by the power of God if that's what God's called you to do. How could Esther, a Jewish girl, become queen? How could she change the outcome of the events of history and God's people? She could do it because she trusted God. And wherever you are today, may we find ourselves trusting God in all we do, knowing that He is certainly at work and that he provides a way for us in the same way that he provided for Esther. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, and I thank you for these words, and I pray that as we go through this story and we think about some of the way things were done back then, God, those were certainly not, not good things that many of the kings and queens did, but dear Lord, let us not get overshadowed so much by that, but let us, let us see how you're working here. Dear Lord, we still... We ain't seen you mentioned in this book, but we see you working, dear Lord. We see how you're working through Esther. We see how you put just the right people in just the right place at just the right time. And God, Esther, and Mordecai and the rest of the Jews had had a tough journey to get where they were. And God, sometimes maybe we have tough journeys to get where we are. God, maybe today some of us have gone through a tough journey to get where we are. But where are we, dear Lord? Well, wherever we are, I believe it's... it's it's where you want us to be, and wherever we are, dear Lord, I believe you can work through us. And God, maybe maybe our poor decisions and things that we've done hadn't been good, and they've got us to where we are, but God, wherever we are, let us seek you and let us trust you to do a good work. God, you are, you are, you are faithful to us even when we are unfaithful. God, you are working even when we don't notice it. So God, I pray that you help us never to question you, but to always trust you to see stories like the story of Esther and to see how you work. And God, I pray that you would use us. Maybe there's one in this room that you have them exactly where you want them. They're already there. Maybe there's some on the journey. You're getting them where they need to be. But God, maybe there's some and you've already got them right where you need them to be. And I pray, God, that wherever they are, that you would use them, that they would seek you, that 
they would live for you, that they'd be a light to the world, that they'd be an example to those that they are around. Because, God, we just don't know how you may use us. But, God, I pray that we would just be obedient to trust you and to submit ourselves to you and say, Okay, God, here I am. Here I am, dear Lord. Use me for your work, for your will, for your kingdom. And, God, just as you placed Esther in the right spot and was with her, God, so you place us in the right spots and are with us. But we got to trust you, and we got to be obedient to you. So I pray that you'd help us to do it. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.